Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to GBC. Thank you guys for leading us this morning. I really appreciate it. Um, before we begin, one quick announcement. After this service, we are going to have a, a baptism, and it's going to be right out these back doors in the courtyard, and um, it, it should be a ton of fun. So I want to invite anybody who can stay around to, to hear some good testimonies and, and just to celebrate what God has done uh, to redeem some people. It's, it's a wonderful thing to do as a community and want to invite everyone to that baptismal service. Um, and also, happy Father's Day. I almost forgot that. And let me, let me say this, and I, I say this every year. Um, on, on Father's Day, we don't preach a sermon like specifically addressing fathers. And uh, that's, that's smart of us because on Mother's Day, we don't preach a sermon based on mothers because if, if we didn't do that on Mother's Day and we did do that on Father's Day, I would be in big trouble. I know that for sure. So um, that's not what we do here. We, we just preach God's word, and, and we trust that that is encouraging to, to moms and dads. And uh, we do think moms and dads are all important. And so just know that. We're, we're for you. Uh, we want the, the gospel to transform you and your families. And so we're glad you're here. Uh, let me pray, and we'll dive into God's word together. Father, it is, it's so fun to sing about your reigning. And, and Father, we confess in that song that, that we are not sovereign. We are not the ones who reign. You are the one who has utter control. And, and so we are here today to celebrate your control of all things. We are here to celebrate your goodness to us and, and the fact that you have adopted us to be sons and daughters Lord, that is a blessing beyond what we can imagine. And so thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who provided the means by which we could be forgiven and redeemed and empowered. And, and I mean, all that comes with the gospel, Lord, we are here to celebrate that and to celebrate your goodness to us. I pray for this time, Lord, that your spirit would work through your word to bring us to places of conviction where we need it, and I pray that we would glorify you as a result of this time in your word together. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start a little bit differently than normal. I'm just going to read you the text, okay? So we're jumping right in. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16 through 24. Try to follow along and really hear what Paul is trying to write here, trying to say here. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us to carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, 
They are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So what do you think? Honestly, if you're like me and you look at this passage the first time, you're like, eh, you know, not, there's not that much there. I, like, I, I wasn't that excited to preach this passage because honestly, it's, it's nine verses of commendations for three people. Commendations like recommendations, like these are trustworthy men. These are good men. Like you should give them the money and trust them with the money. That's what a commendation is. It's nine verses of commendations for, for three men who are going to go with Paul to Jerusalem to deliver an offering that the Macedonians and the, and the Corinthians have given to, to give relief to the church in Jerusalem that is in a really hard way. Nine verses, though. Nine verses of commendation for Titus and two other men who we don't even know their names, none of which will be handling our money. How do you preach that? How do you preach that? Does it even really matter? Does it even really matter about these people? I get that it matters to the Corinthians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, if you're giving, as a Corinthian, some money to someone, you want to know that they're trustworthy. But those guys are in heaven now. They're not going to be handling our money. Does it matter to us? Does it matter to us? I, that's kind of how I was thinking about this. And then I started asking a few other questions. Like, how, how many of the people at Grace Bible Church at the 1045 service, how many of you have heard stories about ministers who most dramatically got thrown in jail for selling junk bonds recently in Houston? Or maybe less dramatically, how many of you have heard stories or or been in churches where, where the minister, after years of service, started to feel a little bit entitled and so started skimming off the top somewhere and finally got caught and that guy got canned. It it didn't go to jail or anything like that, but it just wrecked the church. The, The reality is there's all sorts of financial improprieties in churches, so much so that I bet you half the people here have some sort of misgiving, have have some sort of cynicism toward organized religion because of stuff just like that. So the reality is nine verses probably merited because this is a problem that's pretty common. We're going we're gonna to try to apply it more broadly. We're, we're going to step back from just these are people you can trust to take money to Jerusalem and we're going to say, who are the people we should trust? Who should we trust? That's the first question we're going to ask. Who should we trust? We've already read the text. You'll, you'll note in your understanding of the text that the text never said anything about talented people or slick people. It, it didn't say anything. Like, you should trust these people because they're wicked gifted. They can preach the lights out. None of that. It's just not there. The text doesn't mention any of that. And here's the point I'm trying to make. Churches hire gifted preachers and they fire flawed pastors. You, you need to understand that. I, I'm not leaving anytime soon, but, but at some point, you know, like you need to re- remember that. Churches hire gifted preachers, but they, flyer, they fire flawed pastors. A- another way of saying that is the most dangerous person in the church has capacity that exceeds character. 
The reason I bring that up is because I don't think this has ever happened here, praise God. But you need to realize that churches keep making the same mistakes over and over again. They hire people because of capacity. And they overlook deficiencies in character. The reason I'm bringing all of that up today, y'all, is because Paul uses the term earnest five times in chapter 8. He uses the word earnest twice in reference to Titus, who we know at least his name, and then he uses it twice to talk about another delegate in verse 22. I'll read it for you. And with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. Now, the word that is translated earnest is spude. And it can be a noun, it can be an adjective, and so there's, there's different endings and all, all that kind of stuff. But spude is used 15 times in the Greek New Testament. Five times in this one verse, spude. Paul is driving at something here, and, and he wants us to understand it. Spude is going to be an important word. If you take chapter 7 and 8 together, seven of the 15 times that this word is used in the whole Greek New Testament, 27 books, seven of the 15 times, chapter 7 and 8, he's driving at something. We've got to understand it. Spude, what does it mean? I, I look at the word spude, and it sounds like a Cajun dish. I like it. It doesn't say much to me. Spude. It's translated earnest. Now, what does that word mean? I, some of us have like some sort of mental image because of people's last names. And, and that's, that's natural. I, I understand that. Like we, we think, you know, I know someone whose name is Ernest. And, and we think, does it mean psychopath? <laughs> like, what? If... <laughs> Does it mean someone who boos from the front row? Like, we're, we're wondering. <laughs> the word spude, translated earnest, means speed, haste, diligence, zeal, or earnest. Now, that's a little bit weird, right? Because I, I don't think when we think of the word earnest, Daniel notwithstanding, we, we think of zeal or haste. I, I really don't. I think we think sincerity. Earnest, we think, oh, he's sincere. There's, there's part of that in there, but it's more than that. The, the word spude in Greek, it's a single-minded readiness. Like, I this is what I'm built for. I'm ready to go. It's a single-minded readiness largely to love God, but to do so by loving others. And in this case, in, in chapters 8 and 9 specifically, it's a single-minded readiness to love God by loving others, and it is regularly expressed in giving. So I'm going to give my life. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to give my money. Whatever it is, I'm ready to go. It's a single-minded readiness. 
I actually had a great illustration of Spude this last week. On, on Tuesday, I went to Austin, Texas. I was, I was going for a fundraiser for Hilltop Adventures on Wednesday, and I'm staying with my good friends Taylor and Gail Clark last week on Tuesday night. And I get there kind of late, and we're sitting down and we're talking. It's about 10 o'clock, and, and Taylor says, Braz, you know that Clayton's living with us, don't you? And I, I didn't know that. And I was like, Clayton's a, a dear mutual friend of ours. He's, he's been kind of through a hard time. And what I come to find out is Clayton has been living with Taylor and Gail Clark since November. You do the math, that's seven months. Seven months. And I hadn't heard about it. I, I hadn't heard one thing about it. And, and it's not so much that he's been living there for seven months that is spude. The thing I'll remember is how it seemed like second nature. Like they, you know how Christians do when, when they're doing something that they think is sacrificial, you, they sort of let you know about it? Oh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I guess it's been fine. And, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't know it was going to be seven months. You know, uh, and, and what they're really saying is like, look at me. That happens all the time. I mean, all the time. They're, they're like, oh, yeah, he's been living here seven months. It's been great. Like not a problem whatsoever. The thing that I'll remember is just how normal it seemed. How, how absolutely normal it seemed. Hey, Taylor's disposition in this is like, hey, if I've got a dollar, Clayton's got a dollar. If, if I've got a house, Clayton's got a house. That's Spude. Like I was, I was made for this. Spude, a single-minded readiness to love God by loving others. Translated, earnest. Single-minded readiness. Here's what you need to know about earnest people. Earnest people are the first people to volunteer. That, that's what earnestness does. If, if someone says, we're looking for some people who are willing to give a Saturday, like they don't even get out the need. The earnest person's like, yeah, here I am. Send me. If, if we're saying, hey, we need some people to instead of leading a community group, we need them to lead growth groups. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Doesn't matter. I'll do it. That's, that's what, like, single-minded readiness to love God by loving others, and it, it, they're the first people to volunteer. I, I wear this out, but, but Seth Adams, to me, is, is the picture of Spude. He, he's the guy who just shows up. He doesn't have to be asked. I don't care if he's not on our staff anymore. He's the guy that I think of. It's the first person. He, he's never avoiding eye contact. He's never trying to look busy when, when somebody is asking for something. Yeah, I'll do it. I'm in. Spude. Love compels them so that other people don't have to by asking three and four and five times. I was made for this. I want to do it. I want to look at verse 18 because it confused me and I just want to clarify it. With him, Titus, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. That sort of bugged me. Like, you're sending the famous guy. Hey, is it a rock star? Are we talking about an influencer here? Is he insta-famous or regular famous? Like, are, are we sending LeBron to give the offering? 
or, or is it Bono? Like, I, I didn't know what we were going to do here. And so I, I looked it up. And let me say this before we go any further. I love the ESV. The, the Bible that we preach out of is the English Standard Version. It's called the ESV. And I love it. In fact, I was on Friday morning having a conversation with a guy named Reed Glass at breakfast at Tacos A Go-Go. And, and I was singing the ESV's praises. I think it's a fantastic translation. But that word, translated famous, is a little bit confusing. The word itself means approved or praiseworthy. And I, for the life of me, I mean, they're really smart guys, smarter than me, translating the ESV. I can't figure out how they got too famous. Look at it again, verse 18. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches. I would say with him we are sending the brother who is approved, who has a great reputation among all the church. I mean, something like that. I don't, I don't think famous is that good. And it, it's odd because I think the ESV is great. He's approved. He has a great reputation. What we're talking about here is this guy who is being sent with Titus, who has a great reputation. This guy has a great reputation too. The idea here is this guy is above reproach. And you see that again, Paul's really driving at that. In verses 20 and 21, we take this course that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. We're, we're taking this money to Jerusalem. It's a generous gift, and, and we don't want anyone to like, think ill of us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. We're talking about being above reproach. We're, we're not just trying to abstain from sin. We're trying to live in such a way that we don't have even the appearance of sin. That's a little bit different. So not, we're not just shooting for God's approval, ultimately that is what we're shooting for, but even there, there are a lot of people who don't really know us and they're entrusting us with this money. We're bringing several people so that they might not think, I wonder if they're giving all of it or just some of it. They're trying to be above reproach. Sometimes in this topic of above reproach, people will, will ask me, hey, I'm going out with this girl and we're, we're trying to say, stay pure. We're going on a trip together. And do we need to get one hotel room or two hotel rooms? If we get one hotel room, it's going to be two beds and we're not going to sleep in the same room or not going to sleep in the same bed. And I'm like, okay, what do I do there? Hear this so you don't have to ask me again. <laughs> First... I don't think that's a very good idea because there are temptations, and you can tell me that you're not going to be tempted, but if you're genuinely not tempted, you either shouldn't be dating that girl or you should be preaching next Sunday. I mean, that's, that's kind of the deal. <laughs> like, you're better than me, okay? So that's the first part, but, but let's put that aside because we can quibble over whether you're actually going to be tempted there or not. When you get to wherever you go and, and people, Christians or non-Christians, ask you, hey, where did y'all stay? And you end up saying, oh, we stayed in a room in, you know, Oklahoma together. 
And, and you can say all you want, two beds, we didn't fool around. And everyone is going to go, yeah, right. It's just how it's going to work. Yeah, right. <laughs> Whatever. So get two rooms. And if you're too poor, I'll pay for the second room. Up to $80. <laughs> you can ask Mary, I'm chief on hotels, not only for us, but for you. It's just how it works. <clears throat> More close to the application of being above reproach in this text, this is actually the reason that I don't sign checks at Grace Bible Church. I just, I don't. I don't sign checks. It's the reason we have a finance committee that sets all of our staff salaries, including mine, and then we have an elder board that comes after the finance committee, and they approve what the finance committee has, has put forth. It's the reason our budget is open to examination. It's posted on our website. You can look at our budget. You might not agree with everything that we do, but you can ask any question, and we'll give you an explanation. We will. Because look, here's the deal. I realize that a lot of you have come from churches that have had hard times because of financial improprieties. And what I want y'all to understand is we're trying to do things differently. We're not perfect at all. I need accountability. I don't sign checks. We're not perfect at all, but we want to be open. And if you've got a question, we'll give you an answer. Whether you like it or not, we're going to give you the answer. That's just how we work, and we're trying to be above reproach. So who should we trust? We should trust people who are earnest, people with a single-minded readiness to love God by loving others. They're the people who step forward and go, here I am. I'll do whatever is asked because I love God, and I want to demonstrate Okay, that's the first question. Who should we trust? The second question is this. Who should we send? Who should we send? Now, before we answer that, <clears throat> let's talk about what we're sending them into. Because I think the temptation is, well, we're just sending some messengers. They're going to have a little jaunt down to Jerusalem. They're going to hand some cash off, and that's going to be it. I don't think that's what Paul's saying at all. I, I think this is a really big deal. It it's not just we're going to send four guys to deliver some money. Remember what's going on. This is a Jerusalem church full of mostly Jewish Christians. They struggled with Gentiles even being included in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God. But the apostles sort of prevailed on that, and now we are Jews and Gentiles, but there's, there's still some misgivings. Jews didn't like Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. So that, that's all it means. And, and the Gentiles, by the way, they don't love the Jews either. And, and so there's been this tension, and ultimately this gift is, is a Gentile gift to Jewish Christians saying, we love you. You are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't care if there's ethnic differences. That, that's not who we are. We are united in Jesus Christ. And so we will give generously and sacrificially. And it's not, by the way, because the Macedonian churches were rich. They're not. They're giving out of extreme poverty. That's last week's sermon. But they are showing love for their Jewish brothers. And that's, that's a pretty good 
opportunity for us to make sure that our minds are right in terms of people who look different than we do. In Paul's mind, this is kind of a big deal. Let's look at verse 19. And not only that, but he has been appointed. This is the non-famous guy. He has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. And we'll pause right there. Paul says we are administering. That's what we're doing. We're administering. We are executing a grace. Literally, that's what it says. So we're not just giving them money. We, we are delivering a grace. We are executing a grace. That, that doesn't mean that we give grace, but, but the word grace is the Greek word charity. Does anyone have any idea what English word comes from the Greek word charity? A few of you got that. It's charity. So we are administering, we are executing a grace that is from God, but we are the body of Christ. We are delivering it. It is a kindness granted. That's what a charity is, a kindness granted. Something causing joy, pleasure, or favor. And, you know, I was thinking about this idea that, that we are administering a grace. And, and it's obviously here talking about four people going to Jerusalem. But I was thinking, oh, my gosh, this, this struck me. This, this is, I think, really encouraging. I hope you'll be encouraged. I was very encouraged. All of a sudden, it struck me this week. That is ultimately what all of us are called to do. We are people who are redeemed. We, we are saved by the grace of God so that we might be administers of the grace of God to other people. That's what it means to be part of the body of Christ. We, we are the physical, tangible expression of the purposes of God. We are the hands and feet uh, of expression of grace. That's why the Bible says that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. How Awesome. What a privilege that we are saved that we might be administers of the grace of God. This time of year is a time when kids are, are going to and coming home from camp. And, and I worked in camping, so like I love this time of year. <clears throat> Counselors are administers of the grace of God. They are not paid to babysit your children. They are paid to demonstrate the grace of God, to, to administer, to execute on the grace of God. This last week, we finished up VBS. I was walking in from lunch on, on Friday, and I was walking past several moms who were walking out at the conclusion of our VBS. They looked like Death warmed over. <laughs> they were like slack-jawed, glassy-eyed. And I'm, I'm trying to bring the energy. I'm like, how you doing? You know, just totally misreading the room. And they're like, we're going to take a nap. <laughs> That's often what it feels like to administer the grace of God, just so you know. 
Like there is a deep satisfaction, but it will exhaust you. We've got people who have just come back from Camp Blessing. Our high school kids didn't go as campers. They went as counselors. Camp Blessing is a special needs camp, and our our high school kids went there, and and they were counselors for for some special needs 7 to 15-year-olds, and they come back exhausted. And, And we've got Wilderness Ranch, this Young Life ministry. I think it's the best thing that Young Life does. We've got all these kids who who just went and have now come back. And I promise, I was there when the buses came back. The counselors, they come off the bus, which did not have air conditioning. I know. (laughs) And we've got water bottles. and, And they're like putting them on the back of their necks before they drink them. To administer the grace of God. I'm just here to tell you that it's, it's going to be tiring at times. And the reason we do it is because it's transformational. That, that's the deal. And so if your kids are going off to Canacuck or Ozark or Pine Cove or T-Bar-M or any other of these great Christian camps, pray for the counselors. Pray for the counselors because they are giving their lives away. And a lot of moms around here know that full well after last week, chasing a bunch of like energizer bunny rabbit kindergarten boys like in the blazing heat of out. I mean, just I get it. Let's pray for those people. Let's pray for those people. Why do we do this? Why would we go through all of this where we are administering the grace of God? There, There are two principal motivations, and you're going to see them at the tail end of verse 19. This guy was appointed by the churches to travel with us to carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us, first reason, for the glory of the Lord himself. What that means ultimately is for us to do ministry right, it's got to start with Jesus. It has to start with his glory, meaning it doesn't start with my glory. I'm not up here to preach so that you'll think I'm handsome or cute or funny or smart. Like You're like, thank God that's not the reason. I get it. But in order to do it right, it has to be for the Lord and for his glory. It's got to be by his power. It's got to be for his glory. You will burn out if it is for you. That's the first thing. The second thing, and it's found in the the third part of verse 19, for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our good will. I was curious about that. I, I I did a little digging. We want to show our good will. Will. Now, the, the word to show goodwill is one Greek word, to show goodwill, and it's prothumia. Prothumia. Pro means toward. Thumia is passion. So, so we want to show toward passion, like passion toward something, and, and that is translated goodwill, and, and it's, it's not bad at all. It's, it's an eagerness. We, we want to show an eagerness to demonstrate the love of Christ to others. So, so this is all about the eager. 
This is all about the want. When, when I was a freshman in high school, I, I loved baseball. Baseball was like my sport, it, it, I, probably more identity than it should have been. My freshman year, I got to play on the varsity team, which is not as cool as you'd think, so it was a little bitty small school and like private school. And if, if all of your appendages worked, you got to be on the varsity. It's kind of that sort of deal. But I wasn't getting to play, and I'd never not played in baseball. And, and it, it drove me bananas. Like I, I was, I don't know if I was the second or the third string catcher, but I was not the first string catcher. That, that's the base point. And, and every once in a while, the first string catcher would go in as a pitcher. And, and so I remember the first time that happened, I was like, oh man, you know, Todd is going to be pitching. Uh, Todd's dad's right out here, actually. And um, he's going to be pitching, and, and that means I get to play catcher. And, and they put this guy Otis in, and Otis didn't even own a catcher's mitt. And I'm like, what the heck? But I was so eager to get in. I, I wanted to contribute. I, I was like, that's who I am. That's what I do. Like, I wanted so badly to do it. The, the want is prosumia. It, it's the deep desire to get in the game. We are the body of Christ. It's not what we do. It's who we are. But it informs what we do. And and the want is part of the being. Like, I am the body of Christ, therefore I deeply want to get in the game. I want to get in the game. I want to contribute. It's what it means to be the body of Christ. It's what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. And here's, here's what's frustrating. In the church in America... We have believed in a gospel that, that provides fire insurance from hell and a ticket to heaven, but, it, but it's like this forgiveness-only limitation of the gospel such that the stuff between believing and going to heaven is left amb- ambiguous. So, so like, I've got fire insurance, I know I get to go to heaven, but a lot of people are like, yeah, so I'm not really changed. Nothing's really happened other than I've got to get out of jail free card. And I just, I want you all to know that the gospel is way more than that. It's an invitation to follow Jesus. In fact, 11 of the 12 times that the word gospel is used in the four gospels, it's used before the crucifixion and before the resurrection. So it's, that's the, the point is, it's primarily an invitation to follow Jesus. And, and it's not only an invitation to follow Jesus, it's an invitation to be empowered by Jesus, by the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's an invitation to be empowered by the Holy Spirit indwelling us so that we might be a demonstration of the purposes of God. We might be like God's calling card to this world saying, hey, there's more. And so the idea that we, we would be saved and, and continue in our sin, continue to live unregenerate, unchanged lives, we've cheapened the gospel. We have just cheapened the gospel. And Paul will have no part of it. In fact, in verse 24, instead of commendations, we, we break from the script eight verses of commendations for these three people who will be going with him. Verse 24, so give proof, talking now to the Corinthians, 
give proof before the churches of your love and of the, our boasting about you to these men. We shouldn't just send them. That's not what he's saying here. We shouldn't just send them. We should join them. That's what he's saying in verse 24. I'm not saying everyone's going to get up and go to Jerusalem. That's not the point. But we should join them in this administration of God's grace. Some people are going to deliver it. Some people are going to give it. But we're all going to be participants. And we're, we're all going to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. I'm earnest. I'm eager. I want to be in the game. It says, prove your love. Prove it. Don't make love some sort of emotional platitude. It has shoe leather. Live sacrificially. Prove your love. That's what he's talking about. I promise you that's what he's talking about. On January 28th, 2014, there was a winter storm that hit Birmingham, Alabama, and it was, it was a pretty bad storm. There was, there was a lot of snow. There was also really bad icing, and it pretty much shut the whole city down. Now, there's a guy there in 2014 named Dr. Zinko Herncod, and he heard as a doctor about a patient at Trinity Medical Center who in the midst of this gridlock, this shutdown of Birmingham, this patient had really taken a turn for the worse, and, and it was apparent to everybody that this guy needed surgery, and he needed it really quickly. But nobody could drive. There, there were no buses running. I mean, it, the place was just shut down. And to further complicate the matter, Dr. Herncod was at Brookwood Medical Center, and Brookwood Medical Center is over six miles away from the Trinity Medical Center. Again, driving is not an option. Nobody's driving anywhere. Too much ice. So, Dr. Herncod, who is 62 years old, threw on a coat over his hospital scrubs and started walking in the ice and snow from Brookwood Medical Center to Trinity Medical Center. Along the way, he's 62 years old and he's walking on ice. He slips, he falls, and he tumbles down a hill. He gets up, he crawls back up to the sidewalk, he continues to walk, he finds a car that had tried to drive and had fallen into a ditch. He helps them out of the ditch and continues to walk to the Trinity Medical Center. Eventually, he gets to the Trinity Medical Center, he provides a surgery for this patient and he saves his life. That's what I'm looking for. Honestly, does Dr. Herncott, I don't even know if he's a Christian or not. Most people don't do that if they don't have the Holy Spirit, but I don't really know. Is he single-minded? The guy says, I'm a doctor. This is what I do. If I have to walk to do it, I walk to do it. I think he's single-minded. I think he's earnest. And I think walking six miles in a snowstorm when nobody asked him. Nobody said, hey, would you throw on the trench coat and just giddy up on over here? Nobody said it. Nobody would dare. Like, doctors don't do that. He didn't have to be asked. He was just like, it's who I am. It's what I do. 
See ya. I think he's eager. I think he's earnest. I'm asking you to be both eager and earnest. And I'm not asking you because Grace Bible Church needs more. I'm asking because I know you want more. I I know you do. You do not like passive cultural Christianity. Not one of you does. Eager and earnest. It's where life gets fun as a Christian. Let's pray. Father, Lord, just that we would not settle for less, that we would be so rooted in your gospel, rooted in what Jesus has done, rooted in the security of your love, unconditionally given, that that we can take some risks, that, that we desire nothing other than participation in your kingdom and for your glory. Father, I I pray that none of us would fall into any sort of works-based, legalistic expression of Christianity. But Father, I I pray that the gospel that roots us would, would also enable us to live the lives that you have absolutely called us to. Father, may we be eager. May we be earnest. May we show the world your glory. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.